Hey guys, Roy here, and you're listening to the Balance Mill Podcast Series, and today's episode will be a dad talk, and on this episode I have a good friend, new friend, uh, named Jim, and we're going to discuss all things dad, I guess, so enjoy. So welcome, Jim. How's it going? Doing great, and uh, you know we're all just trying to survive and figure out ways to have fun in the midst of coronavirus. So <laughs> glad we could uh, we could do a little bit of this. Yeah, me too. Um, before we get started, um, as always, I like the dads to choose a drink, and I was very impressed by your choice. And I don't want to belittle. Um, the other dads and their choices of beverages, but you were the first one that I felt you shot for the fences, as they would say. And so why don't you talk about what we are drinking for our conversation today? Well, we're, I'm drinking, well, we'll start by just saying scotch uh, and, you know, we'll throw the answer out there. But, you know, so right now it's about eight thirty, nine o'clock as we record this. And anytime anybody asks me, what I want to drink, and it's past about seven or eight o'clock at night, it's almost always going to be some sort of brown liquid, preferably scotch. Beer is more of a, I don't know, I've kind of, I feel like a late afternoon, early evening drink for me. So, uh, so scotch it is. <laughs> and it's great. We're drinking Glenfiddich Scott, Glenfiddich scotch. Luckily, I had some in my cupboard. I'm new to I guess you could, we'll call it the brown liquids. Um, I grew up very conservative, and so uh, I'm really late in the game. So Scotch, I only knew Scotch from Parks and Rec, and Ron yeah. Swanson loved yeah. Scotch. Um, and it smells, I don't want to say it smells like gasoline, mm, gasoline. But, but it smells really intense, but it tastes great. I know that I can't chug it i have to sip it and i've kind of I, I like the taste and i've acquired a taste for it what is it about scotch that that you like so much well so from listening to the last episode of your your dad podcast i i understand that you're a big fan of jameson so <laughs> I, I think you're probably more used to shooting brown liquid than you are to sipping brown liquid uh so gasoline that's a that's a strong strong it stings the nostrils uh, no, I think it's uh, it's one. It's a great thing to just sip. There's something kind of classy about it, and there's just a it's, there's a lot of depth there. It's a little bit like wine, uh, in the sense that there's just lots of different types. You can go smoky, you can go non-smoky, you can go smooth, you can go not smooth. I mean, it's just it's uh, there's a lot of variety there. Uh, so I just think it's it's a good drink. It's a nice evening cocktail so to speak cool i definitely agree with the layers of the flavor i know that um you know i come from the coffee world and i'm all about coffee and having certain tasting notes as you would say yeah. and it's very i, I don't want to it's intense but it's not intense in a bad way so i'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying this and We'll see how uh, this conversation goes as we continue drinking scotch. Yeah, yeah. I'm already one glass deep, so we'll see how it goes. 
<laughs> so, um, I think we can talk about how we met later, because I think we have an interesting story where it comes to that. But let's just dive right into the um, dad talk. So, uh, how many kids do you have? I've got two kids. My daughter is, uh, her name is Serena, and she is a little over two years old, and uh, my little boy, Jay, who was born in last November, he is five months old, and they're great. They are insane, and we are all cooped up together right now uh, during this time, which has been very interesting. We get It's an interesting opportunity to see them grow, but uh, also it is it been interesting to watch me pull my hair out as we've been <laughs> dealing dealing with a two-year-old who is insane but it's a, it's a lot of fun they're great <laughs> yeah i can attest to that they're pretty great um what what was you could now for the birth story i like to ask about their birth story you can choose one or both of them if they were similar um but do you want to talk about their birth stories sure well you know both of they were there's some similarities and some differences, right? You know, at the end of the day, there's a baby that comes out. So in that sense, they were the same. Uh, but with Serena, so we were lived up in New York City at the time, and uh, it was our first. And, you know, with your first, it's just everything's so new and everything is so uh, – it's just new. So you're just worried all the time. And I remember she was four days late. And she was just ready to get the baby out. It's like, get this baby out of me at this point. And so my buddy said, hey, you know, what worked for us was having a glass of wine and going for a long walk. So that's what we did. We went out to a nice Italian meal, had a glass of wine. Uh, She had not had a single drop of wine throughout the entire pregnancy. But at this point, uh, she was like, fuck it. It's, uh, I'm, you know, four days late and let's get this baby out. So then we went for a long walk. And lo and behold, uh, an hour later, she goes into labor and it was a long process, you know, and at some point you're like, when do you go to the hospital? I mean, this is something that just is a challenge, right? You know, you don't know when you're supposed to go. You like, they say five minutes and one in one minute in between contract. What is it? Five minutes between contractions. I only know I forget. from the office. They yeah. said it was five minutes. Yeah. That's when they needed so, it. So it was something like that. So we didn't really know. Anyways, we eventually at four in the morning decided to go to the hospital and they put us into triage. So triage in New York, it, it's you're basically just in the lobby behind a curtain and she is in enormous amounts of pain at this point. Uh, her water breaks and we're just sitting for two hours behind a curtain while the shift is changing outside and and there was people talking about last night's episode of Grey's Anatomy. I mean, it was not a pretty birth situation until finally I had to go out and yell at somebody. I was like, we need a nurse. Like, the baby's coming. So finally she got admitted, uh, got the epidural. You know, people who are all, like, go all natural, no epidural, I don't, I don't know how they do it. That is uh, unbelievable because she had the epidural and she was giving out snacks to the <laughs> to the nurses at that point. It was the best thing that's ever happened to us was that epidural. And oh, God, and the doctor that came and did it was like 28 years old. He was like a looked like a med student coming in here, Doogie Hauser, and uh, and I was like, this guy, this guy looks like this guy looks like he's a freshman in college and he's about to jam some giant needle into her back. But uh, it all worked out, and um, <laughs> lo and behold, Serena came, and she was, and so that was great. And 
uh, you know, the, I think the funniest part about that was when my buddy came. We didn't have a car uh, in New York, so a buddy came and picked us up at the hospital right by Central Park. And I had done all this research about how to put a car seat in the car, but what I didn't research was how to buckle a child into a car seat. So I couldn't figure out how to buckle Serena into the car seat. And so we just jumped in the back seat and I held her in the car seat with my hands while my buddy drove us 15 blocks back to our apartment. I just have to insert myself. I don't want to, I'm sorry for interrupting, but um, with regards to the car seat, um, there were four YouTube videos that Carly uh, politely voluntold me to, um, to watch about that putting a child in a car seat so that I would be ready. And it is incredibly stressful doing it the first time. And uh, yeah, it's bravo. You figured it out. Yeah, well, you, you live and you learn. Because the second time around was easier but faster. So I think it's an experience that most people have with their second kid. But this time with, with, with James... He, we woke up at one in the morning and Lindsay said, I think my water broke. And I was like, you think? No. She got up. She was like, my water broke. So she was so unhappy with the photos that were taken of her when Serena was born that the first thing she did as her water is broken, uh, she walks into the bathroom and starts doing her hair and makeup so that when she has the baby, she doesn't look as terrible as she thought that she, she I, I thought she was beautiful. For the record, baby, if you're listening to this, you were beautiful both times. But she did not uh, think that she uh, looked good as good. Stage. So she, yeah, <laughs> thank you. Uh, but, so, but the problem with that, though, is that she took 30, 45 minutes to do her hair and makeup. But, you know, shit moves way faster the second time. So by the time we were in the car on the way to the hospital, I was like, I think this baby might come in the car it was that intense so we finally get to the hospital i had to get run in get a wheelchair wheeler in and we got to the hospital at two uh no no yeah we probably got to the hospital between between two and two thirty and jay came at four thirty. so by the time so we woke up at one in the morning and by four thirty, the baby was here so it was a significantly faster sped up process uh, with Jay, but at least I knew how to put him in a car seat uh, when we left. And actually, the nurse came out with us to ensure that we knew how to put him in the car seat. Uh, we had like a supervisor in New York. Nobody supervised. They were just like, "You may leave." <laughs> but uh, here in Virginia Beach, everybody cares about their kids apparently, and so they they had somebody come out and make sure we knew how to put him in a car seat. I, uh, you know, you think that things like this. <laughs> you don't need a supervisor for but i'm always i always think about there's this pete holmes stand-up special and he talks about when he was having his baby and he was looking around and him and his wife were just like there's all these like posters for not shaking a baby it's like why why would someone shake a baby or why would why would we need to be told so much that you don't need to shake a baby and it's like he goes you know well fast forward he goes you're gonna want to shake the baby but it's like I think you think about it's not surprising that there's a supervisor for car seat, you know, uh, car seat stuff, because you think about the amount of people that are having babies. There's millions of people and you need someone making sure, you know, at least the first time. 
Yeah, I mean, you would. I think that's probably the smart move. It, I, yeah, I mean, but the the things that they, I mean, they they the is the fact that they check the car seat. I guess is like the most baseline thing. I didn't even know how to hold a baby. I'd never changed a diaper before, uh, especially when Serena. It, it was a very different experience in New York because in New York they're delivering. I think it was something absolutely insane. Eight thousand babies in um. I wanted to say a day, but that seems absolutely ridiculous. But it's a lot of babies. That seems and, okay for New York. Yeah. And uh, so when you get in, it's a little bit like get in, have the baby, recover to the most minimal part possible, yeah. and then get out and make room for somebody else. And there's no real training. And I remember leaving. And I, every first parent has this thought, right? When you walk out of the hospital, you're like, they let me leave with the baby like I, what am i supposed to do now and you have no idea the putting the baby in the car seat's the least of your worries at that point you're worried about how do i not how do i hold it am i going to break its neck when i hold it am i going to drop it am I, you know there's so many other worries that you're just kind of in a constant panic attack for the first i feel like couple weeks but uh, yeah, couple a... weeks i mean <laughs> i think i think the panic comes probably daily in certain parts when this this being is staring at you yeah oh like help me help me and it can't vocalize what it is that they want and you're just thinking about all the thousand things that could go wrong and you know all those that stuff so yeah. yeah um is giving birth in new york city like it is in all the tv shows like did you have to hail a cab and there was some greasy guy that was like the better not have it in my car stuff like that like in every episode of how i met your mother or seinfeld or anything that has to do with new york uh i it was kind of like that but we didn't do a yellow cab we did an uber but the uber that came up was just like a dilapidated like like fading paint blue van with like one of those side opening doors and we got in and you just saw you just see it on the uber driver's face he's like fuck it's a pregnant woman obviously in a in pain and this is gonna be my night but it's four in the morning he actually ended up being very very nice uh there was one the one small hiccup was at the end we get to the hospital and he's like all right you know uh have a good night and Lindsay said i can't get out of the car right now she was in the middle of a massive contraction and you could just see the guy the, the look on the guy's face was just like please don't have this baby in the van uh and so so it was an uber driver but uh you know to his credit he did a wonderful job got us there safely i thought so speaking of leaving the hospital with yellow cabs this is me before we had our first kid i i asked the doctor i was like so can we walk home from the hospital do we need to have a car to bring us home from the hospital. And she looks at me like I'm insane because she's like, you know, no, you, 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 I guess theoretically, in theory, you could walk home from the hospital, but you're not going to want to walk home from the hospital. And I am very glad that we decided to arrange transportation home from the hospital because as a guy, you can, at least for me as a guy, I was totally clueless to how absolutely insane childbirth is. And uh, so I was very grateful for my friend who came and picked us up, blasting Biggie yes. and Tupac. And that was the first music Serena ever heard was, uh, I think it was, I think it was, I'm 99% sure it was Biggie. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
it's it's really fun to hear um hospital birth stories because it's very much very foreign to me because my child was born in our bedroom (laughs) so it's just really it's wild to listen to these stories um (laughs) shout out to uber yeah oh man man yeah (laughs) (laughs) i'm thinking about if i would have if i would have said can we walk home with carly (laughs) there would have been a lot of a lot of words uh to me it's okay we all you know guys our experience is so different we just don't know the things that the women know you don't know until you know yeah so what would what do you think the hardest or the scariest thing was it about the birth either one i mean i think the hardest thing as the dad mm-hmm. is how powerless you kind of feel during childbirth this is her moment the doctors are well especially with especially in a hospital situation the doctors are there the nurses are there you're just kind of a support figure which is very very important so i'm you know it's not a that that it's not important but you know as a guy a lot of times you want to feel like you can help your wife she's in an enormous amount of pain and honestly i don't think i've ever i don't know about you Roy, but I don't think I've ever seen Lindsay in the amount of pain that she was in. So and that's like disturbing and kind of wrenching. If, if you know it's all good, so you know, so you're not like scared necessarily, but it is difficult to not be able to uh, immediately do something to comfort that in the moment. Yeah, I think that I can totally attest to, to just the the amount of pain and. Um, just how much it took mm. for her to, to do. I mean, I've her legs shaking, um, just the constant. I think it was for me watching her in the, it was just a constant state of pain. Like yeah. there was for, for at least, I know for us, it was a good 48 hours of just, wow. And it wasn't like, like active labor, but just like going yeah. through contractions and just never being able to be comfortable. Mm-hmm. And for her to be able to like, form sentences um yeah. you know and, and i think about your wife doing her hair and it's just I, I you know i when i fell and you know busted out my knee like i could barely talk yeah and here it is my wife you know hour 26 and she's like i would like a glass of water please can you get it for me yeah. and i'm just like what it's just that that simple thing of being able to form sentences is mind-blowing through all of the pain so yeah it's intense totally and it's it's just a you know i think this but it didn't really get better for the second time it was still just as jarring and uh and challenging and so you just want to be there you want to support um and uh, and do whatever you can but that i think that's probably the for me was the hardest thing i think we were very fortunate. We did not have massive complications on either end. There was like a cord wrapped around the the throat for Jay kind of a thing, which was like a, a little bit of a scare, but then it was totally fine. So, you know, I think, you know, we have other friends and I'm sure you've talked to other dads that have had like, you know, there's, there's so many things that can go wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a big worry 
you just are always worried. That's a, actually a big thing about parenting is that you're just kind of worried all the time. And that starts, uh, you know, with, with childbirth. Uh, but those are some of the scariest, most, most challenging things. I mean, honestly, I feel like it's just ever since they've been born, I've been in a constant state of fear. <laughs> fear and worry that I'm going to do something wrong, you know? Yeah. Um, my friend, one of my best friends, he goes, so that feeling of fear that you have now, don't worry. It's never going to go, go away. And right. just wait. It's going to get worse as they get older because he has a kid in middle school now. Um, I can totally identify with that feeling of powerlessness. Um you know, yes, we were at home and yes, there was all these things, you know, it, you know, I had more, I don't know, it wasn't, there weren't as many people in the room, but I mean, honestly, it was the midwives, their assistant and Carly, and there wasn't much I could do except just be there, Yeah. you know, and I couldn't like take, the, yeah. <laughs> couldn't do the work for her, but being, you know, being the man it's like all you want to do is fix it and it's nothing to be fixed. And it's incredibly intense to be in that and to let go of that idea of like, I have to save her, you know? I sometimes wonder maybe if all of the male pent up energy of providing is really just actually a way for us to try to make up for the fact that we couldn't do anything when our wife was going through the most physically traumatic experience of their life and we could share no part in it and so we spend the rest of our lives trying to make up for that fact you know maybe there's something there (laughs) i mean there might be i think um i think is it is it louis ck that said on on my best day as a father i'm only at 25 percent of my life or something like that and and it's you know, it's it's not like I don't know. It's just it's just different for them, and it's different for us. And and I don't know. I mean, it's hard for me to not. It's hard for me to look at a woman and not think that they are strong mm. after seeing a child come out of your wife and mm-hmm. seeing what it took for them to do it. I mean, it's 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 a level of strength that we will never understand and that's okay to say it really is okay to say and i think that we have to recognize that and and yes i will do all i can to to in a sense make up for what what i couldn't that's right that's right (laughs) you know and it's 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 a fun it's it's a wild thing and um Uh, yeah just the powerlessness i think man and she'll always say, I couldn't have done this without you. I couldn't have done this without you. And I think, you know, I'm always like, thank you for saying yeah. that. But I was like, yeah, y- you probably could have yeah. done it. She's just, she's just trying to make you feel better. That's, yeah, she could have done it without you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, did Do you know your birth story? Did your parents ever share that with you? Mm. Great question. I, I don't. No, honestly, I know I was born in Monterey out in California. My dad was stationed out there. But other than that, I don't know. I know my mom. Uh, yeah, honestly, I, yeah, I, I have no idea. I, that's a, I have no idea. I don't think I've ever learned my exact birth story. I, the only 
infant story I know is that my mom didn't, I never learned how to t- take a bottle. And uh, so when my dad went on, my dad and mom went on vacation, and I was with my grandmother. I must have been eight months old. And I basically didn't eat for three days, and I was a terrible baby for my grandmother. Uh, that was the only story they told me about my, my infant years. So I don't. Did, do you know your birth story? Yeah, I've, I've shared it a couple times, um, only because my dad told me, even though I didn't want him to tell me. He always would, he would always say, you know, it would always be on my birthday. He'd be like, I, re- I remember sitting in that waiting room watching St. Elsewhere. Yeah. And just waiting, and then the doctor coming in and saying, "Here's here's your son." I do know that I was, uh, I think, I I almost was a C-section, um, and that's because my mom miscarried before me, ah. and I was like, <laughs> I was a very long birth. My mom would tell me, she said, "I went on Monday, and you came out on a Wednesday." So. <laughs> Those are the things, and, and I, you know, it's just I just know because they would always want to tell me. So I do now. It has just come to me. I remember my mom telling me one snippet was that she did go into labor with me while watching Magnum PI. You remember that show mm-hmm. with uh, Tom Selleck? The mustache. Oh is man, what it's the going. mustache. Yeah. I know, I know, I know. My dad actually grew a mustache uh, when I was a kid. A little while later, I wonder if there was some. Uh, uh, some 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 yeah. some pent up jealousy there, but no, there's uh, there that Magnum PI. So I can thank Tom Selleck for speeding along my delivery. God, God bless you, <laughs> Tom Selleck, Mr. Baseball himself. That's, American hero. Yeah. yeah, and if those of you that are listening know Mr. Baseball, my hats <laughs> off to you. It's a great movie. He has to go to Japan to play baseball because he's a failed American baseball player. Yeah. So anyway, um, speaking of Tom Selleck, there are a lot of mustaches nowadays, which doesn't make sense to me because Magnum PI isn't a thing. I just I and I can't I can't grow one. Me neither. So it's it's frustrating. Anyway, we don't need to go on a mustache tangent. I I will if you want. But go. uh, No, it's fine. Um, So what's your so. What's your dad like? So my dad is uh, my dad's. He's a great guy. He's got a really interesting story. So we're here in Virginia Beach, and it's interesting in Virginia Beach, but it's not as interesting since we're a Navy town. But my dad was a Navy fighter pilot. He flew F-14s. He was the commander of a squadron. Uh, th- that's what brought us here to Virginia Beach and all around California, and we moved around the country a bunch. And so he had this kind of cool side where he was a fighter pilot and was always doing cool things and stuff he couldn't tell you and landing jets on aircraft carriers. And it was awesome. So it was a great he's a great guy to bring to a party, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) you know, but also a cool, you know, kind of an interesting thing about him was that he was and still is very much into musical theater, which brought which is how me and my sister ended up. Uh, getting a love for music and musical theater. And so we had this kind of interesting dad who is this naval fighter pilot, commander of a squadron, you know, who also loved Broadway and still does love Broadway to this day. Uh, And he has now since retired and flies jets for FedEx. But uh, he... He's a he's a great guy, and I'm you know very lucky to I think have had him as a dad and as an example. Uh, I've learned a lot from him. I think. 
Um, that's very interesting. A naval fighter pilot and into Broadway theater. Oh, yeah. Now, my dad was incredibly into theater and the opera and anything Broadway and had no dealings with the Navy. Um, <laughs> did he force you to watch uh, Broadway stuff like my dad did? My dad, at least once a year, we had to watch The Sound of Music. Oh, well, I mean, Sound of Music was Sound of Music and Top Gun were like religion in my house. Are you kidding me? Watching Sound of Music, we would we would line up and do the the, the whole Alvita saying goodbye, you know, the whole thing. Uh, yeah. So Sound of Music, 100 percent. But, you know, no, my dad was even worse. He would make us listen to like Broadway albums, not like fun, cool, new Hamilton Guys fun stuff. Dolls, no, my Fair Lady. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, you know, the music man. You're like. What what is Annie Get Your Gun? Have you even heard of Annie Get Your Gun? Probably not. You know exactly. These I are, do only because some, my dad made me listen to that. Some stuff. real deep, deep shit musical theater. Now I want to. So we're we're here now, and we have to talk about musical theater. So my dad was a drama director at a, at a high school, also a choral director, and so everything he had to do was a musical. And so, um, at least every other performance he didn't have someone to fill a role and so my dad would have to fill a role so there's been many times i've seen my dad in so many sort of like just costumes it was just a thing to see my dad in costumes or singing or being silly or something like that and the worst not the worst the wildest thing is he put on a performance of i think it's joseph and amazing oh, and yeah. the amazing technicolor yeah, yeah, totally. dream coat and so he had to be the pharaoh and the pharaoh is the elvis character and so all of a sudden me and my brothers and my mom are sitting in there and then my dad busts out dressed like elvis singing the whatever song that was and it's burned into my memory it's it's a wild thing oh yeah yeah, no. I I played a I played I played one of the brothers once and Joseph, Dan. I know. Was I Gad or was I Dan? Does it matter? Yeah. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I just remember. Go go go, Joseph. Yeah. You know what they say. Uh, yeah, it's it's those things are just there. They burn so deep into your mind. I know. But I will say that I do now appreciate all that I was exposed to because I learned more about music to where I can appreciate things in a very different way than most people. Mm. So I will say that it's awesome. Yeah. So it's the greatest. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and I still, you know, I listen to Broadway when I'm running. Um, it's just the beat and all that stuff. There's it's, it's great. So anyway, but that's awesome. Did he ever uh, take you in a jet? Uh, not in a, no, obviously not in a fighter jet. But he did take me up in prop planes a few times, and you know we would do the smaller plane type stuff mm-hmm. where he'd be a pilot. My dad is actually a really interesting guy. I mean, he got his pilot's license at 15 years old when he was in Hawaii, I think. Is my grandfather was in the 60s, 70s, 60s, I think, was the commanding officer at Pearl Harbor. Uh, so this wow. is. You know, obviously, post-World War II, my dad was out there, uh, and he got his pilot's license at 15 before he got his driver's license. And, um, you know, he did things like solo flights between Hawaiian islands before he ever drove a car. Uh, so he was, he's always been very, very comfortable behind uh, behind the, what, the, the, I was about to call it the joystick. I don't know. What do you fly an airplane with? It's, a, it's not a wheel. 
It's a, it's a stick. I it's don't know a, if it's called a joystick. God, Dad, if you're listening to this, I apologize. I'm, I'm an embarrassment to you. I always have been. <laughs> <laughs> um, did he... <laughs> so I think, did he ever push, like, going into the Navy on you? Was that, like, a thing? No, so my dad never did. Uh, I, I'd, like... Actually, not even at all. I mean, and to be fair, it's probably because I wasn't smart enough. I <laughs> To go to the Naval Academy, you know, you have to be kind of top of your game. I mean, it's yeah. not it's – a, it's a top school to get into. you got to have great grades. I graduated from high school, you know, with maybe a 3.2. Like, nothing exciting enough to get you into the Naval Academy. So I think my dad was basically like, I'm going to spare you this disappointment, son. <laughs> Of, of, you know, no. yeah. but, uh, but no, it was, I never really faced any of that. And also my mom really, you know, it's a tough life, you know, for anybody listening to this or, you know, who has friends in the Navy or who are in the Navy, you know, it, you're gone for six months at a time. A lot of the times it is a rough life. And I know my mom really, it was, it was, it was a struggle, you know, and he, you know, it's like to have your, your, your spouse gone for, you know, months at a time. And, and so I think, you know, the Navy was never pushed on me. In fact, my parents were always very good at nurturing in interests as they saw them, as opposed to trying to, you know, kind of push in one way or the other. So, yeah. Uh, but I always say that I'm the, like the black sheep of my family because my, my cousin, my grandfather, my uncle, uh, my grandmother was one of the first women in the Navy. Uh, and wow. oh yeah, so there's wedding photos of my grandfather and my grandmother. They were married both in uniform. Uh, oh, it was wow. it's really it's really actually very very special. So uh, I always joked. I'm like, oh man, what a what a what a disappointment I am. I didn't end up going into the navy. It's like the family business. And I was like, hey, you know, I'm gonna go off and uh, go play around with comedians in New York for a while. <laughs> um. <laughs> that's awesome I think my parents our family business we didn't really have one but it would have been either theater or clowning and I because <laughs> my mom was a professional clown um, growing up I gotta yeah. hear more about that some other time <laughs> yeah some <laughs> other time um, but yeah I did neither of those and maybe you know but, but they never pushed me either either way you yeah. know in either one direction it's not um, too late for clowning <laughs> <laughs> it is you know we'll see um, but are there things that like your dad has done? He said, um, that you have like taken into your parenting. Well, he always sang a lot to us as kids. So I still sing and it's not just normal songs either. It's making up songs about your life and what you're doing. So just singing a song about taking a bath or yeah. whatever it might be. So, and I've definitely found myself doing that. Not on purpose. I would not do It's weird. I understand that this is weird behavior to do, but there's sometimes you just, you can't control what you take from your parents. And that was one of them that, uh, that I did, but also like my dad and my mom, but we're both there. They very much have the mentality of, it's a little bit like long leash parenting, mm -hmm. you know, where, uh, they kind of expected me and my sister to learn how to do things on our own. Um, and I think that's something that as I watch Serena begin to grow, especially now that she's walking and talking and, you know, really starting to become a functional human being. It's, you know, you it's something that I hope that I bring from 
that which is like really allowing her the space to become herself. And my dad really did allow me the space to grow uh, into who I was going to be. I never felt pushed. I never felt trapped. It was, uh, they were great that way. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I, I like that, you know, you call it long leash parenting. Someone once told me that being a dad is introducing danger into kids' lives. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's what, you know, I think about when you say like long leash parenting, you know? Well, I mean, life is dangerous. You have to eventually introduce danger. And hopefully you do it young when it's something stupid, like letting your kids play on the couch. Like, are they going to fall off the couch? They're going to fall off the couch. They're going to cry. They're going to hurt themselves. But you know what? Like, let them fall off the couch. That's how they're going to learn. And, you know, it's like learn with the little things so that by the time it gets to the big things, they, they can approach it with courage and, and, and confidence as opposed to being – what what's the quote? It's like if you don't – it's from Finding Nemo, right? You know, this is uh, – I watch a lot of Disney movies these days. But I think that it's in when Dory says to uh, the dad fish and she says – if you don't let anything happen to him, then nothing's going to happen to him, right? And that's like, you never want nothing to happen to your kids. You want something awesome to happen to your kids. So you have to let things happen to your kids. And to, yeah, yeah, that's that, the, That's true. I think when I think of the couch, I think of the time my brother jumped <laughs> off of it and drop kicked me after watching uh, wrestling. Um, <laughs> it's going to happen. But I think that you know, you can't save them from everything, mm. but yeah. I think that you can. It's not that like I want to. I want to protect him, my son, but not in a way where like he doesn't take those risks. Like it's mm-hmm. it's that like letting him climb the tree, but just him knowing that I'm down there in case mm-hmm. something happens is what I want him, that's how I want him to look at me, you know? Totally. Well, especially as kids. Mm-hmm. It, it's just like bowling, right? You know, or, or maybe, I'm, you know, it's a little bit like bowling. Like at first you have, when you're learning how to bowl, you know, you're still doing all the things of bowling, but you have the bumpers up. But at some point, you know, you need to take the bumpers away and let them throw a gutter ball or two because they've got to learn that that's, the real life part of the game. And I'm, I, I'm totally with you. I think that's exactly right. There's a middle road to everything. You don't just want to let your kid run willy nilly or go get themselves in some sort of severe trouble, but you want them to be able to dare a little bit. You know, you want them to be able to, you know, to, to, to break the rules even, if I might say a little bit, you know, just so that they can kind of learn what good rule breaking is and what bad rule breaking is. Cause there is a difference. And, and, and I think it's a, it's a tough line to walk as a parent um, because every instinct you have is to protect and to, you know, you don't want anything bad to happen to them. Um, but yeah, I've been, like I said, I, if, if I think finding Nemo is one of the greatest parenting lessons mm-hmm. of all time, cause it's just, you have to trust a little bit in your kid you know, you have to realize that they're a human being too, and they 
they they need to learn how to make their own decisions, and that's the most important thing. I I you know it's I think for me one of the things that I hope that I am as a parent as a dad is that I raise kids that are able to make decisions for themselves and to approach the world with a stance of courage and confidence uh, and you know and in strength you know and and so and that's a I mean, that's a tall order. I don't even care what, I don't care what they do as long as they have that kind of orientation towards the world. So, yeah, I think there's two things that I've been thinking about as you were talking. Um, the first thing is it's almost like you have to find a balance between letting, letting them know what their limits are versus giving them the limits. Mm. Like in some level, you have to provide an environment that is safe. You know, provide them the environment where they can, you know, where they can essentially live Mm -hmm. healthy, happy, and whole and not impose 100% your beliefs, your feelings, your thoughts, your, your shit on them. Letting them find out for themselves how high they can climb that tree versus you telling them only go to the second branch. Mm-hmm. But there is a balance in that. And I think the balance comes from, it reminds me of, I don't know if you remember this, we were having that conversation yeah. about the street. Yeah. Where, like, I don't want, I don't want my son to think of the street as this evil, scary thing. Right, right. I want him to know that, I want him to know how to, like, when to not be in the street when to be in the street, what to look for, being aware of what's going on. Because I think once you make something this scary monster, it's like you're limiting the kid in ways that that I don't think we understand but can be incredibly detrimental. Detrimental. And I know for my parents, the only thing that had, like the only rules I had were like, be aware of where you are. Mm -hmm. You know, and if... If you can't see me in a park, then that's a problem. But you can go wherever mm-hmm. you want to as long as you can see me. And also, right. like, you can play in the street, but know that there are these thousand-pound vehicles yes. that are going to barrel through. Right. And so you just need to look times and just be aware, you know? Yeah, I think it's it's a matter of giving your kids freedom and bigger as they get older. Like, you have boundaries, you know? It, it's... Mm-hmm. Uh, in, but you begin to expand the boundaries as their ability expands. So you, but you give them freedom within those boundaries. And so when they're like, you know, two, the boundary is pretty small. But as it grows, as they grow and their abilities grow, you be you begin to expand mm-hmm. that boundary out and continue to give them freedom in that. Uh, and in fact, so I heard. Richard Rohr, who's somebody that we've talked about a little bit before, has mentioned, I heard him mention something along these lines, which is, you know, you know, it's sometimes growing up in a, and I might be skipping ahead here a little bit, um, if based on our, you know, shared church experience, but, uh, you know, growing up in an, in a evangelical situation or, or, or kind of a fundamentalist faith, isn't necessarily a bad thing because it does provide a great structure within which you can build things like confidence mm-hmm. and and you know learn how to develop relationships in, in a safe way. Uh, 
and the challenge is breaking out from that, you know, and, and then beginning to expand that that circle because it is a bit of a that that's like a rigid wall, but it, it's tough to break beyond it. Uh, but when you do, you know, and you know, you bring a lot of lessons with you. I feel like I've brought a lessons a lot of lessons with me, uh, you know, from from that experience. So I think you do want the boundaries. You're exactly right. And, but it's, it's giving them enough freedom within those boundaries and then, then expanding those as they grow so that at some point when they're done, hopefully at 18, God, how many years do I have left? 16 more? No, no. Jay's only five months. So I've got at least 18 to 25 more years, yeah. 30. I don't know. How long do the kids live with pairs these days before they're out? <laughs> I lived at home till I was 27. Yeah. No, 26. <laughs> Because the rule was, I could live at home as long as I was going to college. Yeah. So, I, but yeah, nice. I think it's great. It's it's that it's that gradual release. Yes, that's gradual right. release. And I think the hardest. It's so hard not to judge no. when you see the overprotection. Because my mom, bless her heart, we. <laughs> I mean, I would come in the room bloody from my brother's whatever thing that we've done and she would just be like okay here you go clean yourself off and there wasn't this like oh my gosh let me just hold you i mean if we were if we were if we were really hurt and we needed it she was there for it and she was like you fell down you hurt yourself you know where the band-aids are i'm here if you need me bye and but that's just but she grew up on a farm breaking horses and like growing in that kind of environment so that's where she you know she got and so it's hard to see overprotection because i automatically just want to be like you are not stifling stunting their growth in a lot of ways um but i think you know the biggest problem with that is the playgrounds Mm. i don't know if you remember the playgrounds that you were on as a kid i think Mm. we need to talk about that for a second because Mm. i grew up playing on playgrounds that were metal Mm-hmm. That the base was gravel, gravel, oh yeah, gravel. There and they were wood, but they were. If there was wood, it was never like nice wood. It was like splintery wood, and I feel like, I mean, I've <laughs> fallen a lot on these playgrounds and hurt myself. <laughs> but I learned, like, in some ways, to protect myself. Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Or like. Have you? Do you remember sliding on a metal slide in the summertime? Oh, God. And the it's like a thousand degrees. Yeah. Oh my God, the slides were so hot. It was. Yeah. You know, it's like you had to wear pants in the middle of the summer. No, it's it's true. You know, and but at the same time, like I wonder if like we're already Roy. I I already see it. We're becoming those parents already right now. You and me saying, oh, kids. We walked uphill both ways to school in the snow, in the 100-degree heat. Like, this is what happens every generation. We think that we, have, we are so much harder than the, last gener- than, the, than the generation that comes after us. <laughs> and, oh, my uh, gosh, yeah. Yeah, because it's – but, it, you know, but, but there is a, some certain truth to it, which is, you know, I think kids are probably – you know, they are they – just, they just are significantly more resilient than – we as parents think they are because we're think we're thinking of one thing at all times, which is their health. Well, their health and, and happiness and survival, right? You know, that's like, that's the basic, what we want for our kids. And you know, it's tempting to want to just 
give that to them, you know, to want to just take control of life. Because you can. They're kids. They're kids. Mm -hmm. They have no control over anything. You have control over everything. So you can take control and just try to do what you know is right. But sometimes it's, you know, at least in my humble opinion of not really knowing anything at all, I think, you know, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's worth a shot giving, you know, trying to allow your kids the space and, and freedom to, uh, to make mistakes and fall and cry and, you know, hurt themselves a little bit. But, um, uh, cause long run in the long term, it helps them learn, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. Well, you know, there's a library of books on learning through your failures. Yeah. You know, and there's, I think Donald Miller wrote a book about, um, the need for conflict in your life Mm -hmm. because the best stories are the stories where people have overcome adversity. Mm -hmm. Like no one would read, read a book or watch a movie about a guy who wanted a car and he went to a, (laughs) a a dealership and bought bought a car. (laughs) Nobody, nobody cares, but (laughs) we, you know, the best stories have conflict and we need that in our life. And I think, I learned protection from falling. I learned from getting hurt. I learned from all of these things. And yeah, I think that when my parents saw me get hurt, I mean, it was a visceral thing. I mean, when my kid, he has this little cut on his back Mm -hmm. and it was a visceral reaction for me to see that and just be like, Oh my God, yeah, this is crazy. But I think that, um, Oh my gosh, I lost my train of thought oh Oh, what it was was i think it comes back to no one really knows what they're doing right we're all making it up as we go 100 percent. and there's the people that tell me they're an expert i i can't believe them and the people that you know the parents that lord what they do over the other parents it's hard for me to respect that because it's like we're all try. It's time. all one day at a time, yes. right? So it's like, you know, if they're if they survive the day uh, and they're happy, healthy, and whole yes. to some extent, then bravo, you fucking did it. You, you, you fucking did. <laughs> well, this is the thing is that like I I, I felt this way. So, that is so true. I felt this way with the right with uh, Serena more than Jay. Like, it's with Serena. I remember thinking to myself, you know. It's just so easy to judge, but at this at some point you're just like I, I really remember being like there's no such thing as like good parents. I mean there is such thing as good, I guess good parents, bad parents, sure. But like if you're giving it your 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 best shot, then you're a good parent. I don't care if you let your kids watch TV. I know I know that's like a fucking like thing but like if you like listen if you need a break and they need to watch some tv let them watch some fucking tv it's fine like in honestly you're not a bad parent for it like you love your kid and i think sometimes parents are so hard on themselves mm-hmm. we are so hard on them uh, on ourselves and nobody's putting this pressure on us except for what we think we see on social media or something it's like you know but you know it's like you're doing a great job i think as as long as you're giving it your best shot, you understand. You know, you you love your kids. You know, you're like you're doing great. It's just it's it's you know, parenting's just 
it's fucking hard, you know? It is, and I think there are people that lord it over you. Yeah. And it, it frustrates me because at the yeah. end of the day, we are all working with what we got. Some yeah. of us got more than others. Mm-hmm. And I think if you are if you are involved and trying your best, then who the fuck cares what you're doing? Yeah. I can't tell someone that, that how I'm living is better than how they're living. I just this is this is what I've got. Yeah. And I'm doing that. And if you're working with it and you're you're trying, then right on, man. Go for it. I don't care. Like we need more of that. We we need less people in their I'm going to say it in their Subarus in a Whole Foods park. We need less of those people in their Subarus, in their Whole Foods parking lot looking at you because you, you know, they're drinking their oat milk lattes and like, say, Oh my God, I can't believe that you're introducing that to your job. Blah, 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 blah. Like, like that's, it's incredibly demoralizing to people. We need more people that are like, got our backs than telling us you fucking, you fucked up. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that hopefully that is the way, that's where we're heading as like parenting culture is going to be one where instead of everybody's trying to conform to one thing or another or worry so much about X, Y, or Z that we can all realize that we all have a way less control Mm -hmm. over how our kids turn out than we think we do. Mm -hmm. And so the best thing we can do is love our kids as much as we can, do our absolute best, and honestly just be there for your kid when they need you, mm-hmm. and then let them grow into the kick-ass person that they're going to be. True. You know? So. Yeah, and believe that they're going to be that kick-ass person. You know, there's this, um, there's this, uh, I don't know if she's a, she's a speaker. Her name is Brene Brown. Oh, yeah. You know Brene Brown. Um so a lot of things shifted for me after listening to one of her talks and she talks about how something shifted in how she looks at people when she says that she said this one thing that she says they're doing the best they can with what they have Mm -hmm. and she says it's really hard to judge someone when you say they're doing the best they can with what they have and ever since I've heard that, it was like this thing that just turned off in me. And it's not every day. I mean, we all gonna we're all gonna fucking judge. We're human. But like, if I can take the pause, you know, every person is doing the best they can with what was given to them. No matter what it is. Mm-hmm. Some were got have been given more, some have had mm-hmm. the more opportunities. And I think if we can adopt that mindset, I mean, it just It'll change everything. I think parents need to feel we're doing the best we can. Dads need to feel that we're doing the yeah. best we can with what we got. And if we can say that and then say that for other people, oh, my God, it would be so much better. And there would be less less of that bullshit Facebook shaming. Oh, my God. I know. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I, I 100% agree with everything you're saying. So. So yeah, shout out to Brene Brown. Shout out to Brene. I'm sorry, Subaru. Your cars are amazing. (laughs) They save so many lives and your commercials are the best. You make my wife cry every Every single she she calls it and it's it's the best it's the funniest thing to see. So anyway, sorry about that Subaru, sorry about that Whole Foods. Anyway. (laughs) 
So would you say that's been kind of the hardest thing for parenting? Because I think we kind of already... Yeah, I mean, it's definitely among... I think that one of the hardest things about parenting is, yes, it, it, a lot of what we were just talking about. The shame, the the the... The, the worry, the constant worry. It's just the constant, like, you know, to any non-parents who, uh, what non-parent would still be listening to this podcast at this point, to, to this episode at this point. But, hey, don't say you know, <laughs> But, like, you know, it is, you know, there's, um, oh, God, there's a, there's a kind of a, I call him a cheesy country artist, but I, I, Deep down, and not even so deep. It's deep and shallow how much I love this guy. This guy's named Dave Barnes. He has a song, but he has a line in a song. And it says, you might as well say goodbye to the feeling that you uh, are never going to worry about a thing. And I always thought that line was spot on because that is the hardest, one of the hardest things about parenting. Well, that, okay, so it's, it's the feeling that you're always worried. But really, the hardest thing about parenting is the fact that you go from being able to worry about yourself all day, you're worried about your job. You might be worried about your wife, like or your your significant other, uh, and but then when you have a kid, suddenly everything that you care about becomes second place to the needs of this intrusion into your life. You know, it's like suddenly now you have to. Literally, you, everything. I, if I want to watch a TV, see, people are talking about we're in coronavirus right now. People talk about, oh, I sit around, you know, just sit around and watch Netflix. Like, this is what, you know, you're an American hero. Sit around and watch Netflix. I'm like, the fuck? You have time to sit around and watch Netflix? I am busy chasing around kids. I would love to sit around and watch Netflix right now. But that's not, but that's the hardest part about having kids is you can't just relax and do what you want. This, is this the part where I'm just complaining about my kids? No, it's fine, <laughs> because I think it's true. Like, only because I've had two, maybe three sessions with my therapist about, we call it the death of self. Yeah, oh yeah, 100%. You have a kid, and there's the death of who you, the self. And it's like, yeah, who, you know, this kid, who cares that you want to sit and watch Tiger King yeah. for two hours? That sounds you know, delightful. Right? This kid needs to be fucking fed. Yeah, exactly. And he cannot vocalize what he's feeling right now, so you have to spend a couple of hours figuring that out. And it's it's fine because that's the gig. And it will be better, but I can't. I can't remember the yeah, last. No, because but here's you say it's fine because it's the gig, and it is true. But it's not a gig. It is a gig that you kind of choose in the sense that if you do, if you're kind of the family planning type, like if it's kind of thrust upon you, it's one thing. But even if you're the family planning type, if especially going from zero to one kid is just a life-altering situation where you have no idea what you're getting into, and it's it is a. It is, at least for me, it was a complete mind shift from uh, from where I was before. And it was not easy. It was extremely, like, there were tears. There were, like, there, but, there's, but there's also, like, you know, maybe hopefully the next question is, like, one about happiness. Because I feel like I'm sharing the bad stuff. Because, like, you know, with all the challenges, I think is part of if not the entirety of why parenting is such a fulfilling mm -hmm. role but uh it, it is 
you know, I am, I'm just also a super lazy dude. Mm-hmm. And so I love to sit around. I want to, I want to go, you know, Roy, you and I, we live a block from the beach. If, if it was up to me, I'd be sitting on the beach most of my day, just kind of hanging, honestly. And that you can't do that with, you know, it's like with kids, I'm up and about and I'm picking up seashells and, you know, I'm trying to teach the kids how to build a sandcastle. I'm never just sitting and hanging anymore. That just doesn't happen, you know? So it's just, you know, it's a, but you, you know, it's, it is, you truly, you are no longer the most, you're no longer the in control of your life, but you are now, you're tasked with this other life and, and which is now more important than your own. And it's a massive challenge. Yeah, and it's okay to talk about the challenges. It's okay to talk about that it's fucking hard. Yeah. And when I say that it's it's the gig, what I mean is like, I mean this is what this is what it's about. I think everything is incredibly difficult. And I say that from a guy who like I figured out how to be at the beach in the easiest most relaxing way. I mean, I was a I'm a teacher. Mm-hmm. I got to spend summers figuring out how to chill at the beach in the best ways. Mm-hmm. And now I can't do that the way that I wanted to before. And so that can be incredibly hard to deal with. And I will say, and this is not trying to be like, you know, look at what I've done. I don't remember cuz having a kid was tough for me i didn't know if i wanted to have kids Mm -hmm. for at least a year and a half it was a constant talk yeah i don't remember why i didn't want to have a kid i really don't like once he showed up it was like okay it doesn't erase the hard stuff like this morning when the kid wouldn't nap for an hour you're like losing your mind but then after he wakes up and he looks at you and smiles, and I know that's fucking cheesy. It is, but it's true. Oh, my gosh. You're like, it just melts and we giggles at something you say. Or the kid raises up because he wants you to hold him. Oh, my God. Yeah. Fuck it. I'll, I'll, because it's incredibly selfish to sit and I just want to watch TV for eight hours a day. Like I literally have that conversation. I was, I tell, I've probably told my wife this a couple times, but it's like whenever I'm thinking about what I could be doing, it's never anything that's like, I don't know, like I'm not curing cancer. Right. It's like <laughs> I would just want to be sitting eating chips and watching TV. Right. And it's yeah, just totally. like, all right. It's not like I'm missing out on something incredibly important. Yeah. No, you know, I think it's like you're just, but I think what we're like, you know, the, 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 the interesting part about giving yourself up for your kid is that you get this opportunity. Like why, like I sometimes think to myself, why when they wake up and they smile and it's so, you know, you're so excited to see their kids smile at you. And it's because you watch them grow from every moment of, from nothing when they're a baby, when they just come out, like, you know, mm-hmm. and they're in there, they have no consciousness. They can't even, they're, they can't see anything. And then you begin to watch them every single day, learn a little bit more where they can make eye contact. They can interact with you. And when you see every single tiny step of their development, every little moment is a miracle. It really is. Every happy moment is so thrilling 
Uh, and it's difficult to describe that without, you know, doing it the day in, the day out, the, the challenges, the giving up of yourself, all of that feeds into why when yeah. your kid smiles at you or when your kid runs up and gives you a hug, like those are kind of individual moments. But what makes you happy is, is the fact that you've watched them develop every single step of the way up until that moment. Mm-hmm. And it's just extremely gratifying as a parent to see them happy in that moment. So, uh, so, and, th- and that's the, that's the ultimate gift of parenting. I think is that you do give up everything about yourself but you also gain, I don't know. I feel like I, I'm a, I'm a better person because of it. Mm-hmm. I don't know how else to describe it, you know? Yeah. And it's one of those things, and it used to really fucking annoy me when people would say this, but you don't know it until you're in it. Yeah. Oh God, that's the, that is the worst. Why'd you even say it? I'm, I'm sorry, kidding. but it's like, <laughs> but that's, that's the truth. It's the truth. <laughs> and it's hard to explain. And you just kind of have to trust that. But it is, it's that, I think when it comes to like, you know, saying you're a better person because of it can be hard for people to understand. Oh, God, it does sound but, so cheesy. Yeah, but I think what, it, I think really you can shift it to say that you get a deeper understanding of life mm. that people who don't have kids, you know, might get it, but it, I don't know. It's it's just something that, that you just get this deeper understanding of, of like seeing something that wasn't a thing mm-hmm. now is a thing. And now this thing is growing and mm-hmm. has consciousness and will have beliefs and feelings and understandings and all that stuff. I mean, yeah. being a parent deepens your level of life and – I just hate using that word better because it's like, I hate it. Right. It's like when like a married couple's like their single friends, like, Oh my God, you know, you want, Oh my God, being you married is so me. great. Yes. Oh my God. It's like, cause you know, once you're single, it's like, Oh my God, it's like a disease you want to fucking cure. So I had a lot of people that tried to do that or like when your parents, Oh, you don't have kids. Why don't you want to have kids? Oh my God. It's the most amazing thing in the world. And you're, and, and I just want to, you just want to strangle them. Because it is great and it is amazing, but it's incredible. It's it's fucking hard. It's it's all of the things. It's all of it, and you it's it's a ride that you got to hold on, and it just you're drinking from a fire hose. Mm-hmm. So anyway, wow. Yeah. So I want to move into what because we kind of talked about the hardest or things that would scare you and stuff like that. What has there anything that's just kind of clicked? The easiest thing for you to do. Or easiest thing about being a parent, being a dad? Easiest. And when I mean easiest, it's like, is there something that, like, you did, it just was like, like, for example, like, something that clicked that I didn't even know was going to click. The first time I changed a diaper, ah. I remember, like, all of a sudden, I, I did it, it was over, and it was done. Um, and I was like, whoa, yeah. that was easy. You know, or is it, and there's these things that are just like clicking, like the kid does this, I want to try this. You know, it just, it's just kind of, it kind of, it's like flows. It's in your wheelhouse. Something yeah. that you didn't know was even in your wheelhouse. I, I mean, honestly, I don't, I, 
I can't even... Oh, well, okay. So one thing that has been kind of an easy thing that I learned to really love and enjoy was that I thought was going to be significantly more annoying than it was, was was giving baths to the kids. So, you know, I was terrified of giving a bath to the kids for a long time. I thought it was, you know, I was gently, like, just, just gently dabbing the baby with you know it's like you remember this you know it's like you're so weird oh yeah no now i i have so much fun it's it's i with 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 serena it was always so gentle now with jay i just he's in this because he's still small enough we're bathing him in the sink and i just take the the thing out of the sink and i just like hose him down it's a great time he loves it and it's something that definitely came uh you know uh easier than expected because you're just so so where everything was, you know, again, I was so worried about hurting or something as a kid, but you just, it just came uh, quite a bit easier than expected. But I don't, I don't really know. I think honestly, the difference between the first and the second has been easier. So if I take this question a little bit of a different way, like everything with Serena was a big question mark, but you know, doing it a second time has been a definitely an easier experience. I think Jay might've been a, uh, a less difficult baby, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, it was definitely an easier experience and just everything from, um, you know, from napping and trying to figure out schedules and all this kind of stuff that, uh, that we decided to do was just an easier process with, with Jay. And I, and I think I wasn't so concerned about different things. So, um, honestly, it all becomes easier as you do it more. Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, you, and then, and then I'm sure new challenges arise as you, you know, every, everything with Serena is a new challenge and that becomes a challenge, but then everything before that becomes easy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. So, I mean, it's, uh, I feel like the, the, the easy is a moving target for me. Um, yeah, I get that. What, um, how do you view your role as a dad? And then, okay, well, then I'll just answer that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so I think as a dad, I see my role mostly as like a steward, really, of their life. So as somebody who is there to try to teach them what, life is all about and how to orient themselves towards the world so that they can then go become a productive and successful member of society. So it is, it's the, like, I don't really see the kids as mine. I see them as kind of more of like my charge, you know? And, uh, nice. it's, it's just, it's a, it's, it's an interesting I mean, it's an interesting question. I, I think at the end of the day, like, I know what I want for my kids. I don't know. I don't really care what they become. I don't really care, you know, I, I, I really don't care who who they decide to be or who they become. I, what I really care most about is their attitude and in, and in, in how they approach challenges and struggles right and and that's what i want to teach them is those types of life lessons so i really do see myself as as like a steward you know they're 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 with me for 
you know, somewhere between 18 and 30 years. (laughs) And, uh, you know, but at some point I want them to leave the nest and I want them to be able to fly. And so my role as a parent is to make sure that when that time comes, they are well equipped to enter the world and succeed. Wow. I like that. I like that answer. I think in a way you also kind of answered what fatherhood means to you. Uh, Would you agree? Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, I guess how I view my role as a dad, what fatherhood means to me. I mean, it, I don't, I don't even know what, I actually don't even know how to answer that question. I think because I'm only a few years into fatherhood and I feel like what fatherhood means to me is a, like if we redo this podcast in 30, 40 years from now, I'll be able to answer this question a lot better. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Cause I don't know what it means to me yet. I think I know how much it's changed me in just a short few years. Mm -hmm. uh, in, uh, in, 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 what I think is for the better. And so I, you know, ultimately, despite all the, you know, <laughs> challenges that they're, that are associated with it. So uh, I think the jury's out on that question. Yeah. I, uh, I, I put it in there only because I just like the question. Yeah. And it's funny because I haven't really gotten to interview anyone who's been in the game longer than maybe three or four years now. But I like the idea of the steward. I like the idea of like these kids, you know, it's the charge. Like you've been given this thing, these kids, mm-hmm. help them, help them be the best they can be and whatever that is. And that's a really, really great way to look at it. Um, yeah, that's cool. Um, I want to move into... <laughs> move into the big what the big talk um because yeah, we, do we have any whiskey left we have we have some um i will say what we're about to talk about is something that i don't like to talk about without a drink in my hand um anyway that's it's politics and religion you should never talk about um without a drink in your hand so so we met through our wives um because you were you're fr- essentially from here Mm-hmm. Y'all moved back, and I don't know how how our wives met, but they were just hanging out and would take walks. Yeah, and then we, and then they were talking. Your from the story that was given to me was your wife talked about church. If we if me and you know if we go to a church anywhere, and then my wife was like, well my. My husband was part of a pretty intense church growing up, and then your wife was like, "Oh my god, my yeah, yeah, my my husband was as well." Like, oh my god, and this is what was it called? And then we said what it was called. And they're like, "Oh my god, we yeah, went exactly. to the same the church." Same one. So we were a part of the same church. That uh, oh, I mean, I was the Georgia part, mm-hmm. and you were at the Virginia Beach Hampton Roads part. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that from our conversation since we've we kind of had very similar upbringings the only difference i'd say was you were part of the chosen group and i uh-huh. might have not been 
the chosen group so um you know and oh, we you know we so were funny. our church was a uh was on cult watch and uh there's been a couple of podcasts about our church and mm. you know and so that's very interesting and i'd like us to talk a little bit about that but the first thing because i haven't really gotten to to ask someone this mm-hmm. but so <laughs> so was like let's let's talk about the word cult mm-hmm. do you believe that it was a cult you know that's a that's a great question i i look back on it and i the way i see this is that it was because i mean i'm probably the same way as you it's like i i look back and i i i had so many wonderful relationships there that I sometimes think that when you label it a cult, you label it as kind of like an other, like these are people that are so different than you or so uh, scary or something. And honestly, that wasn't really my experience. Although, you know, and although there are certain aspects of the church, especially back when I was in it, that, uh, that might have been, you know, certainly coercive. Uh, and, and that kind of a thing. But I, I, I actually kind of shy away from the term cult mm-hmm. when we talk about the ICOC. Are we allowed to say the name of what we're talking about? I, <laughs> <laughs> I've heard a couple of people on podcasts mention it, and the goal was not to blast. Okay, the goal was that. to share experience. Okay. Yeah, we were part of the ICOC. <laughs> That's fine. We can say that. I just don't want to say like names of people because that's not what this is about, you know. And no, it totally makes sense. And I think that like ultimately, um, you know, I so I I never, I I never really felt that it was full on cult. That said, you know, were there you know certain tendencies that were certainly very challenging or that uh, led to outcomes that were harmful to people I think absolutely and um, but I don't ascribe malice to, to the vast majority of the people that I had relationships with at the church I do not ascribe malice to them I think that they are to this day absolutely wonderful people and and you know and I honestly wish them the best I, I mean I really do and um, I, I think there are some. There's always going to be bad actors in in some situations that that can be damaging to people, and um, so I I so I I mean it's 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 a complicated question, but I I would say that to the basic fundamental of your question, I I generally try to shy away from calling it a cult because I don't know if it went. As far because when you think cult, you think of people that are like, oh, drink the Kool Aid, and then you're gonna like go to, you know, the planet above. You know, it's like it wasn't like that. It really wasn't. But, um, but there were. I don't know. It's complicated. It's complicated. You know. Yeah, I think it is very complicated. Um, I used. I me and my brother talked about it after because I think he listened to the podcast that. I mean. It, it's it's a cult podcast and our yeah. church was on it and blah whatever but i think we talked we called it we were the diet coke of cults yeah. <laughs> 
you know, like there's there's like there's like it's cults, like all yeah. uppercase cults, and then there was this, you know, there was just, you know, our our church was very it was very controlling i think that's safe to say there were a lot of things that were controlled um but it wasn't you know there it 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 wasn't the cults that you see on the documentaries and you know the tv and stuff like that i do think that there were i mean there's friends that i have that i have because of it you know there's people that i there were amazing experiences there's a lot that i've learned there's a lot that i've taken that i want to continue to to grow with you know my life stuff that i've learned through that but the reason i ask that is because i think religion is a big deal with families and there's Mm -hmm. a lot of Mm -hmm. there's a lot of dads that and and parents that they don't go to church until they have kids Mm. and i think you know i think how do you want do you want religion in your kids' mm-hmm. lives? Do you want a belief of some, you know, whatever you want to call it, in your kids' lives? Yeah, I mean, the the very short answer to that is yes, mm-hmm. because I do still absolutely to this day feel that there is you know, that Christianity religion gets this really shitty rap, mm-hmm. basically. That, you know, we, that all Christians are basically identified as fundamentalists mm-hmm. in, you know, yeah. popular culture. And that, you know, it, it, that, that we're all crazy people that, that hate, you know, that we hate gays and we hate, you know, uh, you know, we just hate stuff is hate, basically, hate right? Stuff. All sorts. <laughs> we hate all sorts of stuff. Hate sex and, yeah. you know, all the kind of stuff. Dancing. And dancing, yeah, exactly. And, you know, and the reality of the situation is that's not Christianity at all. Mm-hmm. And most, the if you go out and find your, not your televangelist or, you know, kind of the Christians that you see in the media, but if you go find your average Joe Christian, you're going to find them working volunteering in you know trying to make the world a better place and working with the homeless or working with the people in prison and I, you know I, I i i just i i i remember there's a crazy statistic that was something along the lines of in new york city that was that the when it comes to private beds for the homeless some something like 80% were provided by christian organizations like it is the 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 level of care that christian organizations give to those in need is insanely high and never gets talked about because basically all we talk about is how much christians hate the gays and it's like and and it's just i think to me that those christians out there who are who are i i it it bothers me that Mm -hmm. there are christians out there that focus so much on kind of these cultural hot button issues that it distracts from the real good that a lot of Christians are doing out there mm-hmm. and um and and those in the values that I think you know Christians originally espoused and kind of imitating the life of Jesus and I, I, as much as you know I had a difficult time in the church 
I really would love for my kids to have the values of Jesus, you know, the values of putting others above themselves, of loving other people, uh, you know, of meeting them where they're at, you know, not expecting people to come to you. Jesus never expected people to come to him. He, he, you know, if you're a Christian, you believe that Jesus is God. Jesus never once expected anybody to be God. He never expected people to come to his level. He always went to them, you know, and met them at their level. And, you know, and if, is that a value that I want my son and daughter to have? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I would, you know, I'm, I, I do hope that they have religion and spirituality in, in their lives. hundred percent. You know, my first thought with what you're saying, going back to the New York thing, I think, why do you think 80% of it was Christian organizations? Yeah. Like, why do you think, like, why is it that that's the thing that the Christian organizations would be 80% of the bets, you know, is it because of the example or that was set forth like, or I don't know. What do you think? Well, I think that, you know, over time Christianity has kind of institutionalized, right? So there is an, you know, you look at the Catholic church, mm-hmm. for example, and you know, you, you, the Catholic church there's good things and bad things about being an institution, right? Being an institution means kind of like the heart might fall away a little bit, but, and by fall away, I mean, sorry, that's a, that's a, that's a loaded term, but the heart might uh, (laughs) not be in it as much. You know what I'm saying? But like, but but there is benefits to institutions as well. Mm -hmm. Like there are, they have enormous amounts of resources. You know, my, my family here in Virginia beach is Catholic. My, uh, you know, my dad and my stepmom and, and, you know, and, and, uh, and my stepmom's dad, who we all live with is, and he is always out there. He's, you know, volunteering. Uh, he is, you know, the, 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 their, their Catholic church right up the street is always, that's basically when they're not at Sundays, they're doing stuff for the needy. Mm-hmm. And yes, is that institutionalized? Yes. Is that a bad thing? No, I think that's a great thing. And I think that's a great lesson that we can all take, you know? Yeah, yeah I think that uh, I do agree with you on a lot of it with just the idea that, yeah, there was a, I mean, I mean, my experience was a lot. And there's a lot of negative stuff. Mm-hmm. But the things that are still with me that I still want mm-hmm. to, like, I don't know, water and let grow is that idea that like the the idea of giving the idea of like there's someone out there that needs more than you need and that help and and i think it was the example that was set forth and you know there's lessons in jesus's life and stuff like that 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 i hope to you know expose him to i think you know religion is when you're a part of something that mm. is so intense and mm. so controlling, you're kind of like, I find myself being like very like, Oh, like, do I really want to do this? But there's, 100%. but there's this, I don't know. There's thinking that there's more out there 
and yeah the idea that we're not all just a bunch of things that just happen to come together randomly like there's too much that i've seen that 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 i have the faith that there's more behind the scenes is something that i i hope that i can instill in him or at least show him but i think the biggest thing is that 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 idea of service that idea that that we're connected and that if if you have it give it mm-hmm. you know and, and like cuz it we all have this i think what's what's happened is it's like we have to hold on and no you can't have what i have i've worked for this you know you need to work harder and stuff like that and and i just hope that you know, there's more, more, uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Maybe it's that more of like the understanding that like, that like, no, if you have it and you can give it, then, then freely give, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. So I still hold on to that and I hope that I can instill that in him. Yeah. You know, so. No, I think these are like, that's exactly right. And these are. It's, it's about thinking about the values that you want your kids to grow up with. And even though you and I, you know, that the church experience that we grew up in was, uh, it just, it just wasn't right at a certain point for me. I needed to, I needed to leave. And it was a challenging departure as many folks who grew up in our kind of, you know, church denomination have experienced. And yet, there are, you know, there, that's the, that's what you're like, just like what you're saying. There's a lot of these values that I really do hope that my kids can learn. And if I can try to f- figure out a middle ground, you know, it's like, like, you know, cause it's like, <laughs> I'm all about moderation. I think my, my whole motto in my life is everything in moderation, including moderation. You know, it's like, <laughs> I, would call, I would call it balance only because my podcast has the balance. Balance, sorry, yeah. yeah. You know. Balance, that's a great, balance is perfect. Balance is but the like, title. Yeah, exactly. So like, do I want my kid to grow up in the exact same way I did? Absolutely not. No, I don't want them that. But I would, I would love them to have a understanding of the divine, right? You know, an understanding of what's bigger than themselves that like, a hundred percent because it's just a it's a way of looking at the world that helps you realize that you're not the center of everything i think that's what i i've always taken from religion the most is that i'm not the center of the universe and because you do your natural tendency is to think that you're the center of the universe and that everything you want should happen (laughs) and uh and you know, and that's just the way it should be. You're a little dictator in your own little universe. And the best part about religion, and it's certainly what Christianity teaches, if not always practices, but I think most other religions also as well, is the fact that you're not the center of the universe, mm-hmm. and that in fact you're the hero of your own story. But guess what? Everybody else is also the hero of their own story, and you're just a sidekick in their story. And when you begin to realize, I mean, this is the most important lesson I've always thought anybody could ever learn, is that 
nobody's thinking about you as much as you think that they're thinking about you. You know, <laughs> it's like, it's like, you know, we spend so much of our lives worrying so much oh about what people gosh, think about yeah, us and, and, you know, and, and, you know, and what we want and all this kind of stuff. And when you begin to realize that everybody else is just thinking about themselves as well, like it's kind of a freedom that comes with this. And that's always what I kind of learned from, you know, from my experience with that, that's the, the greatest thing I kind of feel like I took from my experience with religion was this idea that, you know, that at the end of the day, service is the most important thing because you, you know, you're just not, you're not nearly as important as you think you are. And nobody else thinks you're that important. And so shed all of that, that nonsense that you're thinking about yourself and get rid of it and then just, you know, focus on, yeah, <laughs> turn the, I, I, it's like a reality TV show. It's like when the camera's focused on you and all you can see is you, but then you just stop pointing the camera at yourself and you turn around and you start pointing it outwards. Like just start noticing the world around you and doing whatever little tiny part. You don't need to be the president of the United States or whatever. You just need to do your little tiny part in your small community to make a little bit of difference and that's the most important thing you can ever do and I feel like that's what all religions well I, I, I don't want to get in, go down that road but that's certainly what I know that was what was revolutionary about Jesus mm -hmm. was because he said it doesn't matter how unimportant you are you matter and that was a revolutionary concept at the time yeah so I realized one what I was going to talk what I was trying to say yeah Three glasses of scotch. Yeah, I know. We'll do it's it to tough you. at this point. We're so, <laughs> meeting people where they're at. Yeah. I think a lot of times we try to, what can you give me? Yeah. What can I get from you? Um, but meeting, when I think of meeting people where they're at, it's like, who, no matter what you are, it's who you are. And you're a person and you, I want to, you know, love you for who you are. I think finding the freedom, you talked about freedom in that, mm -hmm. and that's a beautiful thing. Just the freedom of like, however it is that you want to experience whatever it is, the God, spirit, whatever, the freedom to find that. And, um, oh my gosh, I just lost, the, it was the last thing you said. Oh my gosh. This is when, this is when. It's a good time to end it. What was the, it was a very valid point. But anyway, we're just going to move forward. It's okay. I think that the, the last thing that I want is to have a religion that lords over me or my family or my son. Yeah. And so it's like if I can introduce it as this freeing thing. Yes. Then you know that's what I want and I just figured out what you said. I got it. Yes. We we got it. It's the idea that you matter. Yes. Yes. And I think that what's happened in the last few years is that you're special. And I think you matter is different than you're special. And I think that's the thing. I think that I want, 
I want him to know that he matters. But not that he's he's special because everyone thinks they're special, but not everyone is special. Nobody's special. But everyone's matter everyone matters and everyone's worthy of Yes. You know, whatever they want. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. I mean, no, that's a that's a very good distinction between you matter and you're special. Because you're special, what you're special means is that you matter more than other people. Yes. And that's a a dangerous philosophy. Mm -hmm. I think... And that's not one that any religious teacher, I think, would ever agree with. I think, because you know, no, because no one person matters more than another. But that doesn't mean that you don't matter, and and that you're not important because you are important. And and it's because every individual is important. And I and I think that this is, and that's how we should treat people. Because that's how that's the or again I come back to this idea of the orientation that we should take with the world. And this is what I hope Serena has and Jay and our kids is like that. You know they're not special. Like the people that you in, come in contact with in your life are not special in the sense that they're better than you. But they certainly are important and they matter in the way that you should take them seriously mm-hmm. and that you should treat them as if they truly matter and. You know, and unfortunately, human tendency is that you don't treat people that way. And, you know, of course, I think I feel like, a, you know, a lot of people would say, well, this is common sense, but it's not. It's not common sense. Mm-hmm. This isn't how we naturally treat people. We have to consciously tell ourselves to do this. So anyways, I, I, I think it's a very good distinction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it comes back to every person that Jesus interacted with they matter to him Mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter where they were what they came from they mattered and it was even the people that were were of the you know the hierarchy that were higher up they mattered he treated them the same way and i think that's what i want to instill in him and i know that he he's either going to listen to me or he's not but at least i'm i'm at least i can tell him that yeah you know, and, and try to show him that and show him. That. It's like my dad used to say, doesn't matter if you're a janitor or you're a banker. He said, honest pay is honest pay. And everyone deserves that kind of, everyone deserves respect. Yeah. You know, so I think that's something you, you saying you matter kind of brought it to what I, what I hope to instill in him. So that's cool. And I think, we figured it out. We came full circle, you know, three class. I was a little worried. It was a little touch and go there. You know, we're an hour and 40 minutes into this. Wow. And, and I think, uh, but I think it's good. And I think that, um, yeah, we've hit some good issues right there. So do you have any, uh, I think we're at a good place to kind of wrap this up. Absolutely. Do you have any last words or anything like that? No, no. I mean, no, no last words per se just uh really excited to be here and uh really happy you brought me on and uh this is a great time uh i am going to drink a lot of water after all this whiskey we've consumed uh uh, you know but this is an awesome time and so thanks so much for having me on and i do thank you for coming on um 
it is something that I do understand the uh, gravity of you letting me share your story with whoever is going to listen to it. So thank you for coming on. Um, And as always, be excellent to each other. And I will catch you next time.